Luke chapter 24, verse 1 starts like this. It says, on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took their spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. They found the stone rolled away, but they, as they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes gleamed like lightning and stood beside them. And in their fright, the women bowed with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you live for the living among the dead? He is not here. That's the story we're going to talk about. It's a story we're celebrating this weekend, the, the death and resurrection of Jesus. But Sometimes if we read these stories, if you know the story, you have the advantage of history of knowing how it ends. I learned a long time ago that to better understand the words of the Bible, it helps me to know the world of the Bible. And so while I've studied some of that, I also try to put myself in the story. And imagine, if you will, the last week of Jesus's life, nothing went the way it was supposed to. Nothing went the way everyone expected. Nothing went the way you would have imagined. And these women come to the tomb and he's supposed to be there. They're distraught. Jesus was supposed to save the world. They were going to overthrow Rome. They were going to put coins with his face on it. And we were going to be the political power and the economic power. And we were going to have this big army and the kingdom was going to be restored. And now he's killed and murdered and nobody's at his death and nobody's really at the burial. And I come to the grave and now somebody's stolen his body. What do you mean he's not there? You can imagine how distraught they would have been. Let me ask you this maybe you've experienced something like this in your life. You ever had hopes or expectations or kind of planned on or looking forward to something only for that thing to not happen? Yep. For that thing to like not go? Or have you ever been excited or hopeful about a situation and then it just did not go the way it expected? What does that leave you? What did you feel? Confused, frustrated, upset, hurt, angry? Well, this would have been the emotions of the, the, the women at the tomb. This would have been the emotions of the people around Jesus's story. And we can understand that if you've ever had that, perhaps maybe there was a job at some point that you were a shoe in for or a promotion and, and everybody said it's yours. And then all of a sudden they hire that guy. Like, what are you talking about? Or perhaps uh, maybe a sporting event outcome, whether it was one you participated in or college students or professional athletes who you have no relationship to failed you in some way and you were disappointed. Maybe it was a performance, a dance, or an artistic, and, and you, were, you were expecting it to go a certain way, and it just didn't go that way. Or maybe a vacation you had planned. It could be a lot of things. We understand what this is like. I remember uh, for us, when I was uh, about 12, we had a situation like this. Now, I grew up in Nebraska, God's country, and, uh, and my mom was from Michigan. And so every year, we would always go visit. She, I had lots of cousins and aunts and uncles in Michigan, and we would always go to Michigan in July, because that's when you go to Michigan. You don't go in the winter. You go in the summer. <laughs> And some of you are from Michigan. That, that was a great place for an amen. Uh, some of our Michigan people up north online, hey, we love you guys. Uh, and so we would always go there. But one year, I remember my dad saying, hey, I got a surprise for you. We're actually going to surprise your family, and we're going to go to Michigan for Christmas. And we were stoked because we got to celebrate Christmas early, which meant we got to open all our presents way early. We, we missed out on a bunch of stuff we didn't really want to do anyway because we were going to get up Christmas Eve morning, drive all day, and go to grandma and grandpa's. And we had way more cousins and aunts and uncles in Michigan, which meant way more presents for us. So we were stoked. And, uh, and so we were expecting it. We were excited. It was going to be the only time we'd ever done that. And I re I'll never forget, early in the morning, my dad came downstairs. We were getting ready to go. We had already had our bags packed. And he came down and he said, I have really bad news. We're not going to be going to Michigan. We thought he was messing with us because he just did that all the time. And he said, no, in fact, I need you to get in the car. We got to take mom to the hospital. 
What we didn't know is that mom had slipped and ruptured some of her discs in her back the night before, and he found her in the middle of the night crawling on the floor in pain. And my mom is a pretty tough sucker. Uh, and so when she's crawling on the floor in pain, you go to the hospital. So we had these grandiose ideas of being at Lake Michigan in the snow and our family in presence. And, and rather than get to do that for Christmas as a 12-year-old, I'm in and out of a hospital. I don't get to go do presents. I don't get to see my family. In fact, we didn't get to really celebrate at all. It just didn't go the way we had expected. And I remember actually feeling like, man, I was mad. I tried not to be mad at my mom, but I was mad at my mom. I mean, I know she didn't ask for this, but I'm like, you kind of ruined our plans. No offense. Hope the surgery goes well. But that's how 12-year-old boys think, right? That's how we think, guys, right? Yes, okay. But I just remember the disappointment going like, man, that, like, this is not how it was supposed to go. And maybe you've experienced that in a more serious way. You know, it's one thing for it to be a vacation, but maybe, maybe for some of you, it's been the, the morality choices or the career path of a child. Maybe it's been a business partnership or venture that just went south and it cost you an important relationship. Maybe it's a marriage that you thought was going to be happily ever after and it didn't go until forever. Or maybe it's, I wanted these, had these grandiose plans of, I wanted to, we're going to have a family and get married and have kids, yet you're in your 30s or 40s and single or can't have kids and have struggled with that. Maybe it's, you never imagined being at this season of your life and having some sort of habit or addiction that you just can't kick. It's like, man, I never expected it to be this way. I didn't think it was going to, I actually hoped and expected it to be a different way. Well, I have some kind of good news for you. If you find yourself connecting to any of those situations, you're going, man, that's real. Like, I, I get that. Like, you're, you're, you're talking to me, pastor. You actually understand and have more in common with the Easter story than maybe you ever realized. Because the Easter story is, is fascinating from so many aspects, but it's a story in which really nothing went the way it was supposed to. It begins with the arrival of an unlikely king born in poor, humble circumstances. Then we saw Jesus as a teacher and prophet. He went throughout Israel calling people to a radical way of life, where enemies become friends, the poor are cared for, where people find forgiveness for their failures. He went from town to town inviting people to follow him and live under God's reign in this upside-down way. And he did many signs and wonders, so many Israelites began to hope that he would rescue Israel from the Romans and set up a new kingdom of peace and justice. In short, that he would bring the kingdom of God. Now, the religious leaders of the day were also hoping for God's kingdom. But to them, the message of Jesus was a threat. Yeah, they had expected to gain power and prestige when this all went down. But Jesus said God's kingdom belongs to the poor, to the outsider, and that real power is serving others in love. This conflict intensified when Jesus, while in Jerusalem, disrupted the temple sacrifices and called Israel's leaders a gang of rebels. So they arrested Jesus, and they had him accused before the Roman authorities of being a rebel king. He was handed over for execution, even though he was innocent. Then he was taken outside the city and put to death on false charges. I think what helps to understand this story is, I said, to put us in the story. So imagine for a moment being there at the time of Jesus. Imagine walking into a, a town, a Middle Eastern town. And on one side of the road, you have lame people, you have deformed people, and there's no welfare system, there's no health care, and they're literally fending for their lives and begging, and, and there's really nobody taking care of them. And then on another side, you have these women who are silent. They're literally treated like property. They're, most of them are being traded and abused. Uh, they have no real rights. 
And then you have these kids that are being neglected and babies being left on doorsteps and in parks, hoping that somebody will take care of them because maybe, just maybe somebody values them as a human life. Imagine that that is your reality. And every time you walk into a, a, a town, that's what's happening. And oh, and by the way, there are Roman soldiers who are there to make you drop what you're doing and carry their gear to their spot so they can continue to oppress you. They can continue to run your life and tell you what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. And if you don't like it, they'll just kill you and find someone else. Imagine that that's your reality and you walk into that town. When I say that, some of us are in justice, but just get so triggered and, and and it's like, oh, how could we? But here's the thing. That's the world that Jesus walked into. And if you look at that time in history, no one would dare disturb it. Well, one guy did. In fact, you take those Roman soldiers, their job was not only to, to do that, but they were there to keep the peace or the Pax Romana for you history people. It was literally to make sure that nothing would change because after all, all of what I just described was known in history as world peace and world domination. This was the world Jesus walked into. And, and what's fascinating is when you look at the life of Jesus, for, it doesn't really matter what lens you look through, the social, historical, religious. Jesus really changed some things that have never been the same since. In fact, historians, psychologists, sociologists, uh, uh, even others, uh, philosophers and religious scholars, whether it be Buddhists or Muslims or, or Judaism, all they all agree that that perhaps there's not another man who's had more of an impact on humanity, uh, that they would agree that Jesus was a great man, that he was a great teacher, that he was a, maybe a great prophet or philosopher, uh, even a very great philanthropist who did a lot of great to inspire the world. It, it's, it's, really not, uh, it's really not much of an argument that he did some really great things because he walked through that town with the lame men and the women and the children and, and the soldiers, and he challenged all of it. But he did it in a way where no one in history has ever challenged it. He didn't come with an army. He didn't come with more money. He didn't come with a better man-made political system than a dictatorship or, or Rome. He did it in a completely upside down, backwards way that still has most of humanity scratching their head. He flipped the whole system on its head in the name of love, in the name of humility. He did it through servanthood and service. And he did it through inclusion of those who had regularly been excluded by all of the haves. And so regardless of what you believe about his claims to be a Messiah, Jesus's impact as a human on humanity is, is almost unquestionable. And that's just the life he lived. But this is Easter. And Easter weekend, we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And so I want to talk about those two things for a couple of minutes because I believe there's so much in this that, that God has for us. And, and you may come to church every weekend. You're like, yeah, I love celebrating this. And you might be here and like, I just do this a couple times a year because I have to or whatever. Regardless of where or why you're here, we're so glad you're here. And I believe God has something for you. In fact, you are, I believe, chosen for a time like this. And maybe, just maybe, there's some things that can come out of you that are better than what you're experiencing here and now. And so we start with the death and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus came. His main function was to take the worst of humanity, the worst, the darkest, the most evil, the most secret, the most vile of all of us, the worst of all of us. And his life was lived in such a way where he never made a mistake. And the goal was to take all of that on himself. And he was going to die in our place because we deserve that. And he said, you know what? You can't bear that. So I'm going to stand in on behalf of you. And I'm going to pay for every single mistake you have and ever will make. 
and I'm going to offer you a new, better life. But there is a little bit of a catch, and that's why I want to talk about this death and resurrection. Now, let me ask you this. Some of you have kids. Um, have you ever told them the same thing over and over and over, and they just didn't get it? And then it was like, hey, we're going to leave at three. We're going to leave at three. Put your shoes on. Get your bag. Put your shoes on. Get your bag. We're going to leave at three. And then 255 rolls around, and you're like, hey, guys, get your shoes and bag. Like, what are you talking about? You never said that. Okay, good. Not just me. Okay, I'm glad that that, doesn't, that happens in other homes, too. Well, this is kind of what it was like to be Jesus. For three years, as he was literally changing the world in a way no one still has ever seen, he regularly told his followers and the people that were listening, he's like, so here's what's going to happen. I'm going to get beaten. I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life and I'm going to establish the kingdom of God. Like he was regularly like, okay, guys, in case you missed it that last time, I'm going to get beaten and I'm going to die, but I'm going to come back to life and it's for your benefit. I'm going to die for the worst of you. And then I'm going to give you the best of me, which by the way, that's pretty incredible. I'm going to die for the worst of you and then give you access to the best of me. If you're willing to give me your life and trust me. So, so are we clear? Like three days, I'm going to, I'm going to like, oh yeah, 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 we got it. Well, then Easter happens and they're all like, what happened? Because why? Because they expected it to go a different way. The week before he'd ridden into town like a general and they assumed he was going to overthrow Herod and Caesar. They were ready for the reestablishment of a political system, an upgrade of a religious system. They wanted a military economic power, and Jesus came to do something so much more important than any of that. And he, before this happens, in the book of John, he actually, in one of the accounts, he has this one profound scripture that really I want to dive into and kind of highlight this year at Easter. And he's basically telling his guys, okay, guys, here's what's going to happen. Here's what you can expect. And again, it was one of the they didn't get it moments, but he talks about death and resurrection, but he doesn't just talk about it for himself, but he actually talks about it for you and I as well. And so as he's trying to prepare his followers, like, here's what you can expect. He says this in John chapter 12, verse 24, and he uses a farming metaphor that everybody already knew and understood about a grain of wheat. And it's really, really fascinating. So he says this, he goes, now guys, here's what's going to happen. Truly, I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it really only remains a single seed. But, and this is crazy, if it dies, it produces many seeds. Now, if you look at that at face value, that doesn't really make sense. What makes sense, like, how could something die but produce more seeds? But what they already knew then, and science has, is really fascinating, if you go look it up, shown and proven, is that a kernel of wheat, actually the seed of a kernel of wheat is protected by an outer shell. And it actually has to physically die in order for it to ever grow. What happens is you put the kernel of wheat uh, in the ground like this. And as it's buried and as it, it, it's dark and uh, underground, what happens is it literally, from the scientific standpoint, dies. And as it dies, that shell upon dying kind of like opens up, like very Hollywood-like. <laughs> That's how I picture it underground. But when, when that happens, that shell opens up and the seed that actually has the ability to produce life is accessible and it begins to grow. And what happens, and you can see a picture of this, this is what it looks like when it, that's the outer shell that actually had to die for this to come. And what was one seed that was like, I don't know, it's like a seed, it's like a decent seed, it won a few state championships, started a couple businesses, you know, only had one married, had three seeds of kids and one, you know, one was two were good, one was bad. You know, it was a decent seed, but it was a seed nonetheless. That, that was just a seed. If it actually allows itself to die, it produces so many more seeds. First of all, it blooms. It produces fruit, if you will, and it produces many other seeds. You're talking legacy, inheritance, and what it produces is exponentially more, better, more fulfilling, more satisfying than what it could ever be on its own. And Jesus is saying, this is what I'm going to do, y'all. 
That, it's, it's, he, he does, he goes, yo, this is what I'm going to do. That's, it's, that's the Greek. Um, and so he's saying it, and he's saying, I got to die, and when I do, I'm going to produce all of this seed. And then, but what's fascinating is it says, but if it dies, it produces many more seeds. And so it grows, and he's explaining this, and he's saying, so if I die, I'm going to also be resurrected. He's predicting his resurrection. And so at Easter, because here's the thing, we, Easter, man, we love the resurrection. Jesus came, and he defeated death, and he gives me life, and Jesus, Jesus, and, and, and we're like, yeah, well, you know, we love to talk about that. And we're like, thank you for dying for all my mistakes, because I'm a horrible person. I'll never really admit it to anybody else, but I am a horrible person, so thank you for doing that, um, and I just love that. But what we don't talk about as much is that he actually invites us not just into his resurrection, but into his death. Because what Jesus was talking about wasn't just himself. He was kind of saying, oh, by the way, this isn't just about me. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to experience the full life that I have for you, which I do have ultimate life, abundant life. I do have joy, peace that doesn't make sense. I have purpose that the world won't understand. I have, I have a, a, a way of, of a sense of identity where you don't need everybody else to tell you who you are and to figure it out and this and that and the latest trends. Like, I can do that for you. I have that. And we're like, yes. And he's like, okay, but here's the only thing. You're going to have to die with me. And he actually, if you read, we're going to look at a scripture in a second. He reads, he invites us, Jesus, the invitation of Jesus into, is to invite us into his death so that we can experience his resurrection. And so the same thing applies to us. He's saying, hey, so some of you, if you stay a seed, the best you're ever going to get is the best you can do. But if you will allow yourself to die to your way, to die to being your own God, to die to calling the shots in your life, die to the way the rest of the world says is the right way to do it, and you will trust me in my way, I will actually produce a fruit and a bloom and a seed and inheritance that couldn't, that is so unfathomable based on what you could do on your own. We say it here often that what you have in mind for yourself is laughable compared to what God has in mind for you. What his plans for you are so much better than anything you could plan for yourself. But here's the part. Sometimes we miss, honestly, in our Western, modern, uh, religious Christianity kind of a, a, a form is that Jesus invites us to die. Now, here's the best part. Jesus, what Easter is all about. Jesus literally took the worst of us. He knew that our sins should have made us separated from God. They should keep us away. They, that, that, with that comes shame and guilt and remorse and a weight we were never meant to carry. And so Jesus offers the greatest exchange of all time. He says, I will take on your physical death. I will bear every, the Bible says he bore every mistake, every sin, every ounce of the worst of the worst the world had to offer, all of it. He took it on himself and he took it to the cross and he willingly gave up his life. And he says, I know that everybody deserves this. So I'm going to stand in for you. I'll take your death. I'm just going to invite you into a different death. And it's not a physical death, but it's a death where you now you die to calling the shots and you run your own life. You get to actually live. I have a full life. I have a resurrection for you. I have so many things I want to rise up and produce in your life, but you will only ever experience it if you will relinquish control and thinking that you know best what's, who you were created for, what you were created for, what your identity is. I want to be that. And if you will allow me to do that, there will be more seed coming out of your life, more fruit coming out of your life, more joy, more peace, more purpose, regardless of the situation around you. And so Jesus took that on the cross and he was beaten and he was bruised. And the Bible says that he took that and he died. And if you are in the story, you're watching the Messiah hero and he dies and you're like, well, that failed. I mean, the, for two days, they thought it was a failed experiment. They, what, what happened to this? But what happened, see what happened 
in John 12, what happens is Jesus went down to, he took the worst of humanity, he took all the evil, the worst, the most vile of all of us, and he took it down and he, he put it in the grave. And when he resurrected, what happens is when you go down into the grave, when, when, when you die to yourself, there are some things that need to stay dead. There's some selfishness and there's some evil and there's some habits and there's some depression and there's some shame that needs to stay down. And then when Jesus came back up, he rose again and he resurrected and there were some things that stayed down and there was this new life that came. And that's not only what he did for, for us or for himself, but he offers it for us. Because he went into the grave, but he didn't stay dead. He resurrected. And he, his offer to you is, if you will trust me with your life, I will give you my resurrection power. I will give you resurrection power. And so what does this mean for us? 2,000 years later, another part of the continent, we aren't even, most of us, Jewish. We're pretty white, a lot of us. What does this mean for us? It means that Jesus is inviting us into his death and his resurrection. He is saying, I have such a, a different way of going about life than the world around you. I have so much more for you than you could ever imagine, but you're going to have to trust and, and relinquish control of your life and trust that in my word and in a relationship with me, I can produce things that you in your own strength, your own wisdom, your own education, your own ability, as great as you may think you are, as great as you may be, it doesn't, you can't even touch it if you're willing to relinquish that and give me your life. If you're willing to die in, in, in a self-sense, I will produce so much fruit in your life. And that's the invitation. But we don't want to do that. See, we love the resurrection, but sometimes we forget that there can't be a resurrection if there first wasn't a death because there are so many things that Jesus wants to rise up. So here's what I would ask you. Are there some things in your life that need to die? Is there some habits? Is there some mindsets? Is there, is there some uh, ways of thinking? Is there a selfishness? Is there a, a habit you're trying? Is there something in your life that you're like, man, this is keeping me down. Guess what? This should be the best news ever. This should be the greatest weekend ever. It's a reminder that Jesus already took that into the grave. Are there some things that you would like to see rise up in your life? Some of you, you have traveled the world. You've conquered the business world. You've made more money than we could imagine. You have all the relationships, yet it's never been enough. Are there some, is there some joy? Is there some purpose? Is there peace? Is there a sense of like actually liking and loving the person that God created when you look in the mirror where you go, I don't need anything the world has to offer because I'm whole and complete and satisfied in my relationship with God. Some of you, that's worth more than the money in your bank account. Some of us have strived our whole life to find affirmation and validation and, and some sort of value. And it keeps, the rules keep changing our world. And, and God would say, in my, it, it, it never changes. And oh, by the way, when you take my yoke on you, my burden is easy. My yoke is light. You don't have to produce for God. And so is there something that needs to die? Is there something you'd like to see rise? Because this Easter, I believe maybe this moment in, in your life is about you getting to look at yourself and ask that question, what needs to go into the ground and stay there in my life? Is there something that God wants to resurrect in you? Is there a dream? Is there a passion? Is there a love for God? Is there a dying to yourself? And again, it won't make sense to the world. The world will be like, what do you mean? No, because we are bombarded in our culture with you're the own boss and your truth and whatever you decide and you know what's best. And, and I mean, after all, we did create ourselves so we know what's best for ourselves. Yeah. Well, that breaks down pretty quick. To celebrate Jesus' resurrection is also to participate in his death. And the resurrection is the greatest news, news ever because the resurrection is Jesus paying a price that we couldn't pay, which means that his love never fails. Our personal failures can't undo Jesus' love. I, again, I don't know what you, what you brought in with you this week, but here's the best news. Next week, if you really blow it, 
Jesus didn't undie on the cross for you, which means you're still okay with him. He still loves you. He still has grace. He still has a plan for your life. You're not too far gone. If you will continue to come back to him, he is arguably the only one that will go, I can clean this up. We can take care of this. And I still can use you where the rest of the world, man, we love to shoot our wounded, don't we? Especially in church, we ain't any better. The resurrection is, is this brilliant sign that, the, that our, our failed human systems and politics and religion and economy cannot thwart the love of God. And there's something greater that this world has to offer if we would choose to trust Jesus at his word. We don't have to look to a man-made system or a human for hope or for salvation or forgiveness, but we can find it in Jesus. So there's this guy who lived a few years after Jesus was resurrected. The story goes like this. Jesus raises from the dead, spends about 40 or 50 days revealing himself to people. They still can't believe it. And they're still distraught and disappointed because he didn't like conquer Caesar. And really here's the, 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 the turning point of his life is the religious leaders of, of Judaism brought him to the political leaders of Rome and he had an opportunity to defend himself. And when he tipped his hand is when they all turned on him. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. And it was at that moment, the crowds turned and they said, well, then kill him and give us Barabbas. Because see, Barabbas was a known revolutionary who was trying to overthrow Rome. And they, once they knew Jesus wasn't interested in political power, they're like, well, give us the guy who wants political power. And so maybe for the first time in history, we see religion and politics agree on one thing. Jesus is a problem and Jesus has to go. And so it was his religion and that political system that said, we're all better off if this guy goes. And what's interesting is he didn't really spend a lot of his time trying to change either. And he wasn't that interested in either because he was up to something bigger, just like he's up to something bigger in your life. So he spends about 50 days and then he goes into heaven. Soon after he reappears to this guy named Paul, there was this one guy named Paul. He was intense. He was passionate. He was like pastor Joseph on steroids. Uh, <laughs> And, and he hated Christians. He hated Jesus. He hated the movement of Jesus. He saw it a threat to the political and the religious system. And he was literally killed Christians and put them in jail and beat them until one day Jesus shows up and he's like, hey, what are you up to, Paul? And he's like, whoa. And he realizes he had it all backwards. Why? Because Paul realized what maybe many of us is, is that Jesus often is very different than what we had expected, but he's better. And so he learned the ways of Jesus and Paul spent the rest of his life teaching churches and people how to become followers of Jesus. And there were a bunch of Roman people that were so compelled by this non-Caesar, non-Herod guy who just loved them and included them. And they're like, hey, he might be onto something. And so you have all these Romans like secretly following Jesus at the threat of their own life. And so Paul starts writing letters to them and he explains this kind of, this kind of dichotomy in Romans chapter six. And, and this is what I want us to take away from, from this year. And I want to ask a couple of questions here in just a second. So Paul's saying, if we've been united with Jesus, talking about Jesus in death like this, then we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. So Paul is basically saying Jesus invites us not just to participate in his death, but in his resurrection, that Jesus is fully aware there's some things in us that need to die. And there's some things that he wants to resurrect. Well, pastor, what are those things? Well, only he really knows. And that's going to be a journey that you go on in a personal relationship where he reveals it in the right season requires ongoing trust. So he goes on and he says uh, in verse six, he says, for we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin, this I just can't get out of my own way, kind of dies, uh, and we might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. We should no longer be bound by things. We just literally, the thing that owns, we own or that we have to have just literally owns us. He's saying we don't have to die to that or we don't have to be slave to that anymore because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. See, stay right here for a second. This is, this is to me what's so compelling about the invitation to die to myself. 
Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. That same spirit that Jesus, that rose Jesus from the dead and helped him to do all those things is the same spirit that is offered. If we say, I will die to myself, all of a sudden that spirit comes in me and that habit, that addiction, that, that thing I couldn't kick, that depression that just ate my lunch, that, that hatred, that bitterness in my heart, all of a sudden something I'm not capable of doing on my own starts to work itself out and I start to see the joy and the peace and the fruit come back in my life. And to me, that's what's so compelling. Amen. And it's hard. I can tell you. I've had to die to things. I remember as a young man wanting to get married. And Jesus, I felt very clearly, God said to me, am I going to be enough if you never get married? I had to die to that idea. And when I did, he allowed me to have it. He just, I needed it to be more important than you. We always wanted to have a big family. Well, we couldn't have kids. So I had to die to the idea of never having more kids. It's hard. There were, there were career paths I could have chosen that, don't take this the wrong way, that pay way better than being a pastor. I mean, I'm well taken care of, but you know what I'm saying. I'm a decent salesman. I'm good with numbers. I can make a few bucks. And I had to die, and God had to, I had to face these questions in my 20s and 30s, and still to this day. Am I going to trust God in his path for my life and his provision, or am I going to go do something that I'm capable of doing on my own and creating my own system and my own set of comfort and doing my best? Am I willing to die to what other people think of me so that I can do the right thing? God, when there's things that God has said you need to stay away from or you need to live this way or serve. Well, yeah, but what will they think? I, I regularly have to die to work, living for the approval of other people so that I can just continue to know that I'm loved by my heavenly father. Amen. This, die, this, this death is not just a one-time thing where you say a prayer, but it's literally in one part of the Bible, part of the Bible says that we take the cross daily and we follow him. But every time I die to me, God produces this fruit I never could have predicted. There's this blessing that comes. There's this purpose that comes. And sometimes I'll be straight up with you guys. It gets harder. Because I reject the comfort gospel of America right now. That's not biblical. The, the more you love God, the better things get, the easier things get, and the more comfortable. And he just wants you to be happy. Pfft, not in my Bible. It ain't in there. I've read the whole thing. All his followers got martyred. Just saying. It's true. But I'll tell you what I have found, a peace that I haven't found in any other relationship or finance or purpose or position. I found a joy where even in the middle of hard things, I can have this joy that is beyond understanding. I found an identity where, where I used to live for the approval of people and hate who I used to be. And now I'm okay with who I am, not because I think I'm awesome, but because God has revealed his love to me. And so every time I die, I get this fruit and it's not something the world can take away from me. It's something that I continue to experience. And that is what I would want for every single one of us. And so this invitation to die is, is Jesus isn't just asking us to die. He's asking us to be willing to die to ourselves so that we could experience the resurrection, the things to rise that ultimately I think we really, really, really want. And so he's explaining this. And in, I love how it ends. It says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. That's why we do it. Because if I follow him on the path of dying to myself, I follow him on the path of trio life. And Jesus said in John 10, 10, he said, I came to give you abundant life, full life, the best possible life. And some of you, you have been waiting your whole life for this. And maybe, just maybe, this is the time in your life. It's time to stop trying to do it all on your own and calling your own shots and being your own God and running the show and being your own boss and being in control. And control is really, really sexy and we all want it. But maybe, just maybe, you could trust the creator of your life with what he has for you. 
And so, at the beginning, I told you, or asked you the, the question, does it ever have anything happen you didn't expect? I told you that story of Michigan about how we didn't get to go. What's interesting about the story of Jesus is religion, even the religious leaders missed what he was really up to. Politics missed what he was really up to. In fact, when he rose, if you read the next chapter, when he rose from the grave, he walked along a path with some of his disciples and they couldn't even recognize him. They were so distraught because he didn't do exactly what they thought he was gonna do. This is a terrible analogy and you probably shouldn't say this at Easter, but it's kind of like the dark night. When at the end they said, <laughs> Batman was what we needed, not what we deserved or not what we wanted. Jesus is the savior and he wants to be the one in your life that gives you what you need, not what you think you want or what you ultimately deserve, but he will give you what you need most. And he invites us this time of year, this time. He's saying, I want you to rise. I want love to rise, joy to rise, self-love to rise, patience to rise. I want you to die to bitterness. You know what I want to put in the ground? Jesus doesn't want to put you in the ground. He wants to put that unforgiveness, that hate, that bitterness, that I hate myself, that comparison, that trap, that insecurity, that thing, that shame, that guilt that you've been carrying for 10, 20, 30 years about that secret you never. He's like, let's put that to death so that real life can rise. And that's the invitation he makes to us. Jesus mentioned our life is like a seed. And when we die, we can truly live and start to bear fruit. Here's what's really, really cool to me. In the world, in the world system, when something dies, there's hurt, there's confusion, there's pain, there's frustration. But in the kingdom, when something dies, in the kingdom of God, when we trust him, it turns into better life, whole life, joy, peace. And the things that you didn't even know you ultimately needed are the things that God reveals you had all along. See, I believe we are like that seed that, that God's saying, if you will die, there's so much inside of you. And I think it starts with there being a seed in us because the Bible says all of us were created in the image of God, that all of us, we, we, have, we have inherent value because we are created like him and we have created on purpose, for a purpose. You're not an accident, no matter what you've been told or what you've done. But some of you, you've been waiting a long time. There's this thing in you, you're just waiting for real life. You're looking for something to rise. And I believe that thing that you have been looking for is this faith in Jesus where you relinquish control and you, I'm gonna die to myself. I'm gonna let you run the show. It reminds me of a story, another story of seeds. It's a true story that happened about 17 years ago in Death Valley, California. Anybody ever seen or been to Death Valley? It, they call it Death Valley because it is the hottest, driest part of, of North America. It's, it's in Victorville, California area. This is what it looks like everywhere. Awesome, huh? Who wants to go there? It's, it's, it's literally, it's uninhabitable for, for plant life, uh, for, for things like that. It's, um, nothing grows there. Nothing can grow. Nothing can produce because it's so hot, it doesn't rain. That's where they come up with the name of Death Valley. But in the winter of 2004, a, a, a weather phenomenon happened that we still don't understand to this day. Meteorologists have studied it, they don't understand. For some reason, in the winter of 2004, they got seven inches of rain in Death Valley. And they thought, well, that's interesting, that never happens. And then winter ended and nothing happened. Then spring came and nothing happened. Then summer came and nothing happened. And then winter, fall came and nothing happened. And winter came again and nothing happened. But in spring of 2005, over a year later, all of a sudden, this place that was desolate, that was dry, that was lifeless, that was empty, that was hurt, that was burned out, all of a sudden, flowers started to pop up everywhere. They called it the super bloom, in fact, 
because they'd never seen anything like it. In fact, by the time it all grew, Death Valley was carpeted in flowers. You can go ahead and Google it for yourself. This was all of Death Valley. And everyone was left scratching their head because it was thought to be an uninhabitable, ungrowable situation or area. And what they realized was that all along, there was seed under the ground ready to grow and bloom. It just needed the right environment and the right amount of water. And it didn't happen in the timing you would expect, and it didn't happen the way they would expect. But once it got in the right conditions, the things that it was dying to grow finally came up. And I thought, what a great picture for what I believe God has for you. Some of you, you think it's too far gone. There's a dream, there's a relationship, there's maybe even a version of yourself that you feel you're too far away of. And I believe that that seed has always been in you, that God's not holding that first divorce against you or that, that, that teenage pregnancy against you or that huge mistake or the reason you went to jail or all the stuff that no one knows. I believe that the world would cast you aside, but Jesus is saying, I'm not worried about that Death Valley. I know the seed that I placed in you. And if you will allow me to water it, if you will allow yourself to die to me and put yourself in my care, I can produce the rain, I can produce the fruit. I can produce what you ultimately need. And what once was desolate and dry and never had life, there will be a bloom and the world will take notice and I will get glory. And so this year, rather than just relive the Easter story, you can go read it. It's in the Bible. I wanted to really ask the question, what is this? So what? What does this have to do with me? Well, I got a couple questions. Is there something in you that you need to put in the ground this time of year, this time in your life? Is there just something that needs to go down? It needs to stay down that you need to go. You know what, Jesus, you took death, hell, shame, pain, fear, the grave, and you put it down there. And because you took care of that and you defeated it and the world took its best shot at Jesus and he like went and came back to life. And he didn't just do it. So you would think he's awesome. He did it because he thinks you're awesome. And he wants you to live in his resurrection. And maybe, just maybe, this is the year, this is the time where you're like, I've been doing my own thing. I've been calling my own shots. I've been kind of living for myself. And I continue to get the same results. I live in the insanity zone. Come back next week. And now it's time to like die so that I can rise. So let me ask you this. Are there some things that need to rise? Are there some things you're dying to see come out of your life? Is there some fruit it's overdue to, to have in your life? Guess what? Jesus wants for that for you more than you want that for yourself. But it only can happen, church, if we participate in his death. We love the resurrection. We don't love the death. But he's saying, if you will participate in my death, I guarantee a resurrection in the afterlife, but on this side of eternity as well. Maybe you're here, you're watching this, you're listening from wherever in the world you're here. And you're like, man, I never even thought about it. I've never heard anything like this. It starts with what, Jesus, what Joseph said at the very end of his spoken word at the beginning. I believe in Jesus. It starts with the Bible says, if you believe in your heart that this is real and you confess with your mouth, you say, I believe in Jesus. You enter a relationship and go, I'm going to trust you with my life. I'm sliding over from calling the shots and being my own God. I'm going to let you be the God. And you, all you have to do is admit that in your heart, pray that and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I need to die to some things. I need some things to rise up. And so I'm giving you my life. It really is that simple. And it's a daily thing. And so you just begin a process. You don't have to have all the answers. You're just willing to commit to going there's some, because there's some of you, you're sitting in these seats and I see it in your eyes. Something in you is going, he, what he's saying is right. It, you're, it, it's resonating in your heart. Your heart's beating. You're like, I don't know what it is. Jesus is so lovingly inviting you to move over and go, if you'll die to yourself, I will bring the life you've always been looking for. The love you've always been looking for. The value you've always been looking for. So we're going to sing one more song. It's called I Will Rise. And as we sing it, you can sing it and you can make it a prayer. 
If you want to have just your own prayer time, and as we, as we stand and sing, you can maybe just say, God, here's the things I need to see die in my life. Here's the things I need to see rise in my life. And I'm just going to give you some time to just respond to whatever God is doing in your heart. Because the, the goal this weekend wasn't just to hear a good message and go, I like that church. He's pretty good. But that it would be something you can take with you and go, what do I really think is most important in my life? And what do I want my life to be about? Because if you will participate in his death, you will experience his resurrection. And what he has for you is better than anything you could come up with on your own. So if you're physically able, would you stand to your feet? And as we sing this song, I just want to give you time and space to respond in your heart. And then we'll come close this out. Worship team, come on up. I will rise.